talk to you about defining moments. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. And as we, as we continue through our, uh, our AD series, uh, we find ourselves at a place uh, in, the, in the lives of the apostles, in the, in the lives of the disciples, that they're at a defining moment. And I want to read to you uh, a pretty good-sized portion of Scripture, uh, and then I want us to take a little bit of time to, to talk about it here. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse number 12. It says this. It says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. And the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, the angel said, and tell all the people about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Who, who, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would use it to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is, in the life of the church, in the history of the church, this is a clearly, it's a defining moment. Things are about to change. The church is about to face much more significant pushback much more significant challenge. It's not unlike where we find ourselves in May of 2015. Ten years ago, being a part of a church was a very different proposition. The church, the standing of the church in the community was looked at in a remarkably different complexion. But just as we, Calvary, as one church, find ourselves at a crossroad in our history as a fellowship, 
the church around the world finds itself at a very important and very significant crossroad. I believe that it is a clear indicator of those last moments before Jesus splits the eastern sky and calls his children home. I believe that we are on the doorsteps of that last great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that last great influx of people, that last great revival that the Word of God talks about, and then Christ will come. I'm convinced of that. I also recognize this, that there is much of the established church that is going to miss this defining moment. Not unlike the religious people in the days of the early church, how they significantly missed the moment. And as such, instead of taking an appreciative role of what God was doing and how he was ministering and how he was moving by the Holy Spirit, instead of having an appreciation, an engagement, and a support of that, they put themselves in pointed opposition to the work of God. And watch, friends, in the coming days, you will find the same thing happening in the world around us, where a segment of the church will move forward in the power of God, will take a passionate champion's stand for holiness and will be disregarded by much of the mainline church and find itself specifically facing opposition. You cannot ignore and you cannot avoid the defining moment. You can, however, choose how you respond, and collectively, we can decide how we respond as a church family. This is why, and we talked about this last week, this is why I want to revisit again the importance of and the appreciation of, of the work of the Holy Spirit, which is often the forgotten segment of the Trinity, but is vitally important, so much so that Jesus told his followers, don't do anything until you receive the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Because one of the things that you can count on, and you heard me talk about this earlier, is this, is that God will consistently put his children in impossible situations. He will consistently put us in impossible situations. Why is that? Well, part of the reason for that is this, is that God wants us to walk in active partnership with him. And you'll find yourself many times in situations much like what Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 19 when he said, with man it is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. With God all things are possible. And because of what God brings to the equation and because of the empowerment that's found by the Holy Spirit, God will consistently put us in impossible situations. In, 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 Acts, chapter, in Acts chapter 5, here's what we find. In verses 18 through 20, when, when the 
apostles are arrested. And the angel of the Lord appears before them and says, go to the temple courts and publicly proclaim the entire story. Tell people the whole truth. What were they in prison for? They were in prison because they were told, don't tell the story. They had been warned. It wasn't the first time they were arrested. And as they're there in prison, the angel of the Lord appears before them and says, listen, I don't want you to do this halfway. I don't want you to do this inconspicuously. I don't want you to do this in a covert fashion. I want you to go, I want you to stand in the temple courts, and I want you to declare the reality of who God is and share the redemptive work of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Now, them hearing that, they know what Caiaphas, what the priests are going to do. Why? Because they've already established, they've already demonstrated their pattern. They realized that going forward likely meant a death sentence. This is the reason why when they stood before Caiaphas, they said, we have to do what God has told us to do. But if you look all throughout Scripture, all throughout church history, God has consistently called us to do the impossible. Listen very carefully. If you get nothing else out of this morning, I want you to get this. That the depth of your walk with God will be determined in large part by how you respond to the impossible in your life. Let me say that again. The depth of your walk with God will in large part be determined how you respond to the impossible in life. And you will respond either in faith or in fear. And both faith and fear come from within you. I can't give you faith I can say things that will encourage your faith. But Scripture makes it very clear that God has given to each person a measure of faith. Now, you can strengthen that faith. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to build ourselves up in our, in our most holy faith. But faith is yours, and that's yours alone. Fear also, fear comes from within. You can find yourselves in situations that heighten this fear. But fear does not come upon you. Fear is something that rises up from within you. And when you find yourself facing the impossible, if you choose to respond in faith or fear, that is a deliberate indicator of where you're at in this journey with God, how you're connecting with the empowerment that comes by the Holy Spirit and the depth of your relationship with Him. 
fear is always an indicator that this faith part of my life needs to be enriched. It needs to be strengthened. It needs to be encouraged. This is part of the reason that it's important that you have a daily time in the Word. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The more that you know God, the more that you can trust Him. The more that you know God, the more that you can walk in faith. Friend, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when God calls you to impossible situations. Because He is a God of the impossible. Mary got it right. When the angel of the Lord appeared before her and said, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. How can this be? This is how it's going to be. Be it unto me according to your word, for nothing is impossible with God. What a disposition to have. It's the reason why she is blessed, why she's highly favored among women, because she got it. She is not alone. David understood this issue of the impossible. David, a man after God's own heart. David, standing before this 13-foot-tall giant who says, come here, little boy. Come here, little boy. Today, I'm going to feed your flesh to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the air. What was David's response? In that situation, in an impossible situation, in a no-win situation, he looks at the giant. He says, no, you come here. Because you might come against me with sword and spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord, whom you have defied. And this day, I will feed your flesh to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the air. Gideon with his 300 men. Again, we could go over and over and over again. God consistently puts us in impossible situations. I love this. French poet uh, Jean de la Fontaine said this. He said that man is so made that when anything fires in his soul, impossibilities vanish. Man is so made that when anything fires in his soul, impossibilities vanish. There's a song we sing from time to time. It's one of the old, great worship songs of the church, and it says this. In the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace, troubles vanish. in the presence of the king. God will consistently put us in impossible situations because he also continually empowers us to be unstoppable. He continually empowers us to be unstoppable. So Peter the other apostles, they're arrested. Angel of the Lord sets them free. They are proclaiming the good news of Jesus in the temple courts. Caiaphas and his cronies bring them forward and say, what in the world are you doing? 
we thought we told you to stop this. We have to obey God rather than men. Okay, since you continue to try to share this story, we have no choice but to sentence you to death. We're going to stone you. And at this, this learned older gentleman in the Sanhedrin, Gamaliel, says, Caiaphas, can I talk to you for a minute? Now, let me share this with you. When you, when you watch, if, you, if you're watching the 80 series, when you watch it tonight, what they will show you on TV is not consistent with Scripture. Okay? And they've taken a number of, 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 of artistic license, I guess, in this series. But, but this is another one where it doesn't line up with Scripture because you will see that the uh, apostles are standing there and they're listening to uh, Gamaliel's speech. But that's not, that's not right according to Scripture. What happens is this. The disciples are, they're sent out for a moment. And so the Sanhedrin have this conversation amongst themselves. And Gamaliel, who is this, this well-revered, older member of the Sanhedrin, says, Caiaphas, you don't want to do this. You don't want to stone these men. He says, let me remind you that we have had over and over again, we've had people that have risen up to be great teachers. They were put to death, and the problem was solved. This is worth noting, okay, because oftentimes what happens is because we just gloss over Scripture, we don't, we, we miss some great nuggets of truth. And, and I want you to notice this. Jesus was not the first person of his type that came onto the scene. All right? So let me, let me read this to you. It says this starting in verse number 35, and this is Gamaliel speaking. He says, then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied him. I love that term. He appeared claiming to be somebody. We don't know what he claimed to be, but he claimed to be somebody. We know what Jesus claimed to be, right? So Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So this thing of having Jesus killed, this was kind of a pattern for the Sanhedrin, right? Anyone who spoke differently than what they appreciated, they had killed. They had no idea what they were messing with with Jesus. Totally missed it. Gamaliel recognized something. And look at what he says. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But what if it's from God? If it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Friend, God will consistently put you in impossible situations because he consistently empowers you to be unstoppable. And how does he do that? He does that 
by the working of the Holy Spirit within you. And this is a reason why we should place a priority on the Holy Spirit. This is why I would encourage you to not just accept the gift of redemption that Jesus Christ offers on the cross, but to take this posture towards God. God, I'm not simply looking for fire insurance. I want to walk right in the middle of everything that you have for me, and I want to live my life fully empowered as you intend. And a central part of that is the third person of the Trinity. God the Father, we recognize his importance as, as Almighty God, as the creator of everything. We, we recognize the role of Jesus. Jesus, our Redeemer, Jesus, our great advocate, right? He's at the, he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. But so much of the church tends to marginalize and minimalize the significance and the relevance of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just some appendage. It's integral to this Father, Son, Holy Spirit that we know the Trinity as God. And the work of the Holy Spirit is vital in your journey. And so embracing the Holy Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit have activity in your life, this is why we encourage you to seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit just as it happened in Acts chapter 2. Because just as it happened in Acts chapter 2, that same infilling or indwelling or endowment of power that Jesus promised to his disciples in that day, it's still available to each one of us today. And God wants us to walk in the Spirit. He wants us to live by the Spirit. He wants us to display the fruit of the Spirit and to demonstrate the gifts of the Spirit. And we will find ourselves in impossible situations, where, but God will, God will consistently call us to do the impossible because he wants us to walk in the unstoppable. This is why when Paul wrote to Timothy, why it was real easy for him to say that God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Fear is therefore unnatural. When God made you, he did not make you as a being designed to function in fear. It's not your natural skill set. It's an unnatural skill set that is developed when we reject faith. God's not giving you a spirit of fear. What he's given you is he's given given you a, a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Power, love, and sound mind. Power, love, and sound mind. Here's what the Holy Spirit brings to us. The Holy Spirit brings to us power, right? And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit brings to us love. When you look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit, Right at the top of that list, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
right? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Sound mind. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? The role of the Holy Spirit is to be a counselor to us. Two of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Understanding that you would not normally have. An acknowledgement of facts that is coming to you from somewhere that is not of your mind. So God does not give you a spirit of fear. There's nothing about God that connects to fear. Fear is unnatural. It's also unneeded. But what God has given you in, in, this, in this gift of the Holy Spirit, he's given you power, love, and sound mind. This is why we should embrace the Holy Spirit because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is undeniable. You go from Acts chapter 5 into Acts chapter 6. The church is growing. The apostles recognize they need help. They choose a group of people to be deacons. Diakonon, servants. And among those that they choose, they choose this man named Stephen. And and I I love what it says in Acts chapter 6. It says, the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Verse number 8, it says this, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. I love this. This guy, he's not called to be some big star. He's not called to be uh, one one of the top people in this organization. He's just there to be a servant. And even as a servant, get this, even as a servant, signs and miraculous wonders. You don't need a Christian superstar. The power of God is not relegated to the celebrities. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he will energize you. One of the worst things that's happened to the church is the rise of a Christian celebrity. And God will judge them. Hold on. And God will judge us for chasing after them instead of chasing after him. This is a reason why we will not invite people to this church based on their celebrity status. We will invite people that minister in this church. They will minister because of their gifting and their anointing, not because of their notoriety. And you can write that down. Stephen, a servant, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. See, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is undeniable. And, and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, it, it's, in, it's invaluable. Stephen, he's seen these signs and wonders happen. And he's not looking for them. He's just doing what, he's just responding to the needs in the moment. Right? And the religious people of the day aren't happy with it because the religious people of the day seem to never be happy when God is moving because they lose control and they'd rather be in control instead of God. And, and in that moment, these men begin to argue with Stephen. Acts 6, 9 tells us, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. 
They could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. You're called to be more than a conqueror. In order to live out this destiny that God has for you, the Holy Spirit is a major component to that. This is why I think it is so tragic that the church has pushed back against the Holy Spirit because it's different. And because it's different and honestly somewhat unpredictable that we don't like it. This church is a part of the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God really found its roots in the Azusa Street revivals in, in early, the early 1900s, 1901, 1903. The power of God was moving in a dramatic way, powerful way. And out of this, people were embracing and they, they, they were experiencing the, this, this, this Pentecostal power of God, speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, all of that. They would go into their traditional churches and they would be told, you can't stay here. We're not going to have any of this in our church because it messes up our program. And so they began to cluster together. Some of it was new churches starting. Some of it was entire churches being changed and being kicked out of their denominational organizations. And so in 1914, this group of 300 individuals got together in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and they said, let's form this fellowship called the Assemblies of God. They didn't want another denomination because they didn't want people telling them what to do. So they created this thing called the Assemblies of God, this fellowship. That's what we're a part of. This church, Calvary Assembly of God, we're not a part of a denomination. We're part of a fellowship. Each one of our churches are independent. We can do what we want to do. If we want to, tonight we have an, an, an annual meeting. If we want to vote to change the name of this church from Calvary Assembly of God to Edge Church of Fun, we can do it. We're not going to. But that made some of you think, oh, I got to go to that meeting, didn't it? Yeah. We're not going to do that. But our churches, in the early days, our churches were, they were not in the best locations. You know why? Because we didn't, we didn't have a whole lot materially to offer. We didn't have big, massive buildings. In fact, in the early 1950s, when Calvary Assembly of God started, and, and we built a building that, that sat out over here, this church bought this land because it, it wasn't close to downtown Orlando. It was on the outskirts of this sleepy little village, Winter Park. And they bought this land because it was cheap. They had no idea that I-4 was going to run through it. And, and not here to impress anybody, not here to do just God, whatever you want to do. And God in his sovereignty chose to put us in this just location that would explode with growth. This story, you'll find this story in a lot of Assembly of God churches where they started in obscurity and started on the wrong side of the tracks, meeting in ramshackle buildings, old warehouses. 
And because they embraced the power of God, people were drawn to that. And then what they did is, seeing the blessing of God and wanting to accommodate more people, they, they built bigger buildings and bigger buildings and bigger buildings. Some of them built massive buildings. Look around. But then something happened. And now the pressure of a building payment became a stronger motivator than experiencing the power of God. And we had to do things in such a way that we didn't offend people. Because after all, if I offend you, you might not come back next week. And if you don't come back next week, I'm not going to get your dollars. And so church became all about not offending. Church became all about being safe. And we had strategies and programs. Church growth seminars would tell us that if we follow this system, that the church would grow. I want you to know that Calvary is not alone in the journey that it's been on. And Calvary isn't the only church that built a big building only to see it not fill. I'm not here to question the decisions that leaders of this church or leaders of any church made in the past. I can't say being in their spot that I wouldn't have made the exact same decision. I can't say that I wouldn't have made much worse decisions. I don't want the enemy to twist my words. I, I don't want you to, to think in any way I'm being critical of any decision that was made. Because, wow, I know my humanity. I do know this, that we can learn from the great decisions that we've made in the past, and the decisions are not so great. We can look back to those moments when as a church, we saw the hand of God, the power of God, the blessing of God, right? And we can look back to those moments and we can go, okay, what were we doing in that moment? So you look at the seasons in a church when it's experienced just the amazing presence of God. What were we doing in that moment? Okay. Well, all the women had beehive hairdos. Okay, that probably didn't apply. That was probably just more, more um, fashion than it was faith. So I don't want you to break out your leisure suits next Sunday. Because, man, we experienced God in 72. It's got to be the polyester. <laughs> right? Well, when we started singing Gaither, that's when we experienced the power of God. So we should go back to singing all Gaither all the time. <laughs> it wasn't Bill Gaither's music. Here's what it is. It's when it stops being about what we want. And it's this 
this understanding of who God the Father is, who God the Son is, who God the Holy Spirit is, and saying, Father God, we worship you and we honor you. Jesus, we operate in your name and your authority. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again for the, for, the, for, the, for the sake of those of you who weren't here or those of you who weren't paying attention last week. Because I know it was late in the service and some of you had dozed off. So if the person next to you is sleeping, wake them up because they'll want to hear this. I, I, I understand that when you say that there's freedom in the Holy Spirit, that at times that, that introduces a little bit of goofiness into the environment. I want you to trust the leadership of this church, okay? We're going to be mindful of that. We're not going to allow excessive, goofy, and weird, okay? You'll have a little bit of it time to time because people get confused with, with emotion and spirit, okay? But I'd rather have to deal with and clean up a few messes, okay? And, and, and listen, you invite friends and somebody does something goofy, don't freak out over that. That's a great opportunity to explain it, and you can explain it very quickly. You can go, that person was nuts, It's okay. You can tell them that. I, no, that I don't know why they were doing that. They get caught up in emotion. You know, they're they're different, but we love them anyway. <laughs> we will not let those things get distracting. Okay. To that end, okay. If you're up here and you're worshiping, and it, maybe it's a little bit, and I notice as the pastor that I notice that there, a lot of people are looking at you instead of worshiping. Don't be surprised when somebody comes up to you and just taps you on the shoulder and says, listen, we don't want to restrict your worship, but we want you to go do it over there. Right? Or up there. Plenty of space up there. Don't be offended by that. Okay? Because if it's not about you, let me say this, if it's not about you, then it's not important to do it up front. So I, I want you to be expressive in worship. I just don't want you freaking other people out. But we have to, listen, we have to allow God to breathe on the moment. And just because you've seen goofiness and just because you've seen people do stuff on TV that's embarrassing and, and ridiculous and self-serving and, and their attempt to get in your pocket, and they have they have they have connected themselves to Pentecostalism. Don't, don't reject the power of God. Don't reject Pentecost just because of the, 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 well, I was trying to come up with a more politically correct way of saying this and nothing's coming to my mind. Don't, don't, don't reject Pentecost just because of the weirdos and the manipulators. Don't, don't do that. Take this posture towards God. God, I want all that you have for me. And when I read in the word, this is what I see. I see it saying this about Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. That's where I want to be, God. I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way this church or any church will survive.
Without the Holy Spirit, we're what Jesus called whitewashed sepulchers. Which what that means, it means this. It means a whitewashed tomb. It looks really pretty on the outside, but inside it's lifeless. This building looks cool from the interstate. I think it's pretty important that what happens on the inside matches the outside. Amen? Let's stand together.